Welcome to episode 153 of Behind the Mission, a show that sparks conversations with Psycharmer trusted partners and educational experts. My name is Dwayne France, and each week I'll be having conversations with podcast guests that will equip you with tools and resources to effectively engage with and support military service members, veterans, and their families. You can find the show on all of the podcast players or by going to psychomer.org forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us on Behind the Mission. Our work and mission are supported by generous partnerships and sponsors who also believe that education changes lives. Our sponsor this week is PsychArmor, the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military culture content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners, as well as custom training options for organizations. On today's episode, I'm having a conversation with Navy veteran and spouse Christina Slitz, foundation co-chair of the League of Wives Memorial Project. This project honors the story of a group of military spouses who supported their husbands held captive as POWs in the Vietnam War with the establishment of a memorial in Coronado, California. A short note before we begin. Typically, our interviews run about 20 minutes for a total of about 30-minute episode. Settle in for this one because it's a bit longer. But the story and the mission that Christina shares is so fascinating that I think you'll enjoy it. You can find out more about Christina by checking out her bio in our show notes. Let's get into my conversation with her and come back afterwards to wrap things up. Christina, thank you for taking the time to share the story of the League of Wives with us today. But before we get into that, I'd like to provide you an opportunity to tell us a bit about yourself and why this cause is such a passion for you. Thanks, Dwayne. I was asked to take on the position of co-chair of League of Wives Memorial Project by a friend that we knew while stationed in Coronado, California. And generally, it was because I was there, I think, and I was visible in the community and active. But I had read this story in the 1990s when I was active duty naval officer working with an air wing tasked with providing intelligence support to combat search and rescue. So I was familiar with the story of Admiral Stockdale and the book I had read about his situation was called In Love and War. And in this book, he co-authors with his wife, Sybil Stockdale. And Sybil was amazing in her own right. And they trade out chapters because as he was captive at the Hanoi Hilton in Vietnam, Sybil was at home. She was the senior officer's spouse. And as most of us know, the torch usually falls to that person to take up leadership back at home. Obviously, sometimes people are able to do that and sometimes they aren't, but Sybil took it up. And I think we're all luckier because she did. She was Stanford educated. She managed a teaching job and for young boys. And as their situation unfolded, the POWs were being tortured. Very little information was getting out. The government didn't seem to be making a lot of movement on that aspect of the conflict which we all know was heavily politicized, very controversial for a lot of good reasons. But the bottom line was their husbands were held captive and were increasingly, it looked, being tortured based on the, the letters that some of the wives were getting. And the wives were also getting very little uh, attention or support to the families. They were asked not to tell anyone about the situation. 
and we're told it would reflect badly on the war and just to keep it quiet. So can you imagine your husband is being held and tortured and you're told don't share this with anyone and just go about your day. And after some time, as spouses do, they started to gather. And then I think what's really amazing is Sybil started to lean into that that network of the military spouse, which spouses, we have a small military world and spouses have this network where their paths cross all the time. Immediately, she could tap into this network of spouses all around the country. And so she did. And her chapters in this book, In Love and War, talk about that story. And so every other chapter, I was flipping between two sides of myself. And it was really exciting to explore both of those sides in their story and then be inspired by both of them. So I was happy to take on the job of co-chair. And then the other aspect of it really drew me into it is that my grandmother was an army spouse. My grandfather graduated from West Point in 1941. Can you imagine June 1941? And then you roll right into World War II. And her experience was basically this timeline of Sybil Stockdale. And I could tap into so much of her experience that was really different, certainly from my experience. But my dad was a Navy submariner and he graduated in 1969. And so right in the middle, pretty much, of the captivity that we know about 1965 to 1973 for the POWs in Vietnam. And so my mom became this Navy bout at the kind of pivot point of all of this, where the League of Wives come into their being. And I really feel that the difference between my grandmother's perspective, which was very much keep quiet, look pretty, throw a great party, don't have any opinions. Her experience was radically different from from mine, certainly. And then my mom is in the middle and she really had a different attitude having seen what her mother went through. It included losing a son in Vietnam and having a, a mental breakdown. And then my mom coming in and very much saying, we're not going to do China and silver and crystal every time people come over. Where she very intentionally threw parties on paper plates, hosted spouses that way so that everyone could feel like they could participate and everyone could be a leader and host a gathering. She just had a very different mindset. And I really see what happened with the League of Wives as being the starting point in military family advocacy. They started to recognize the needs of military families, understood them as connected to the service member, and also recognized the humanity of the service member. World War II, people were just numbers, right? And and we understand that was a difficult situation, but I think it really changes who is over there. That's a dad, that's a mom, that's a sister or brother. And they made them family members by being a visible family and not a stoic family that just was an image, but with real needs and real thinking capacity and agency. And then we see after the League of Wives, these different organizations developing maybe services family line was one of them or 
they evolve and take shape into so many of the organizations that we know exist today. You know, I think the interesting thing about that, as I'm, I'm hearing you share, is really you've just shared three generations of service in a couple of different ways, right? Your mother, your grandmother serving as military spouses, and then your grandfather and your father serving as veterans. And here you are, you're a convergence of the two. You are both, you served in the military, right? You are a veteran and you're a military spouse. So really this idea uh, of the convergence within you of those two types of service, and then at a point in perhaps a pivotal point, learning about how those two sides separately supported POWs in Vietnam. That was probably very impactful for you. Yeah, I think it is. I didn't go looking for this. It came my way and it's amazing how things converged. So getting to see those different sides come together. I think it's also true that I have met a lot of spouses who are third generation. I think this is something statistically we know is happening that more and more families go into service. Our daughter was just commissioned as a civil engineer corps officer in the Navy. She is a CB. And so this is a story for a lot of people, but I also think it speaks to the way that military families were all surrounded by other military families. So we think that it's common, but I think at a national level, we know that it is not common. And so that's all the more reason for us to engage with this story, to have a visible marker like the memorial that it, we're trying to build to honor the League of Wives so that people see the role that military families play in the story of our country. When we set out to do this, we were really focused on Coronado's story and Sybil Stockdale and Admiral Stockdale, who came back and eventually retired there and lived there the rest of their days. But only as we got going did I start to ask questions and then realize we don't think there's any other memorial that honors a group of military spouses in our country. So this is another first step for us to take and to really make it visible, right? Some people said, why should it be women's bodies? This is a little, oh, it's not really done. We don't have any other monuments or statues or public art like this in Coronado, or it's not. And sometimes we've come across organizations that said, gosh, we really want to support you, but we have a policy that we don't support memorials. And, and I know that monuments has been controversial and we should be honest about that piece, but um, statues or art, public art, 7% feature female figures. And of those, many of those female figures are fictional characters like the Little Mermaid. So this is a really important opportunity to say, hey, these are, this is like what we see, these military families, let's be aware of them. And yeah, it is something that I think I wrestle with. Yes, it's a source of pride. It's also a struggle. I want to have my own life from this sometimes. And I think that's something that military spouses do struggle with. But then that's embedded in this memorial also. Yeah, absolutely. As a retiree and a veteran myself, um, I know firsthand, of course, the value of the support of my wife. Uh, we're actually about to celebrate 25 years, and 15 of those was while we were in the military. And I know many who serve the same way, but the League of Wives Memorial Projects, as you're talking about, is a specific opportunity to recognize military spouses in general, but also the group of military spouses, the League of Wives. So what can you tell us about the memorial, the project, what you're hoping to do? 
Yeah, thanks. We had a design committee that worked on this for several months. We also are working with amazing sculptors, Chris Bladoff, who is based in Los Angeles. And then he has a collaborator named Elizabeth Paul now. And her story is very interesting as well. She is in the 29 Palms area. First, they read the more recent book that we had read, also called The League of Wives by Heath Hardage Lee. And this book, I would say, brought the story back to life. And so our sculptors read this book. They were already talking with the founder of our project, Brad Willis, who is a NBC Forum War correspondent, retired and lives in Coronado, knew the story of the Stockdale family, of course, he's of that era. And, and so the sculptors had presented a few ideas for us. And the first example featured maybe five women. They wanted a 360-degree kind of visual interest. And they show these women, and one is very angry, and she's pointing and gesturing. And then another woman is melting into herself and back of her hand to her forehead and sobbing in her expression. And another one's got a kid hanging off of her arm. And we looked at it and we were like, oh, no, 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 no. This is not, maybe they sell all of that. And I would always say to junior spouses, if you've never had a day where you were like, screw the Navy, I hate this life then you haven't been here long enough or you're lying to yourself. So we've all had those moments, but the League of Wives never would have succeeded if they had presented themselves in that way. They would have been dismissed as hysterical women. We know the word hysterectomy. It's associated with women. And this is just, it's dismissing them. We knew they had to have a really strong presentation. I said, let's think about graceful resolve, right? They had to be grateful. They had to be resolute. And so we wanted to present them in a strong way. So we had this great conversation. And our sculptors, Chris and Elizabeth, were so open. They were just like, tell us more. They wanted to interview everybody, get all of our thoughts about our experiences, spouses. We tried iteration after iteration, what also would fit with what the city of Coronado would approve. And I think this is where my team is amazing was we finally came up with this very much of a compromise. We wanted the 360 degree to still stay visually pleasing or interesting, but we also wanted a point person. And we knew Sybil Stockdale is the point person. One of the people that I brought on board is Kaylee Knutson Thomas. We interacted in the Navy. We were both intel officers. Kaylee is also the daughter and grandniece of Vietnam POWs. So her mother's uncle and her dad were cellmates before her parents were married. And Kaylee is also a veteran and a spouse, and she's a Vietnam POW child and connected to the community. We would go back to Kaylee and say, Kaylee, what do you think about, what does your dad think? What, did, what would the POW community think about this choice or the feature? And that was very helpful. In addition to that, once I started with the project, I said, we have to talk to the ladies that are in the area who were part of the League of Wives. So we reached out to as many as we could find 
and some of them are more and some of them are less capable of gathering. They met monthly until Sybil died. After Sybil died, they met quarterly until COVID happened. We started in 2021. So once we invited them to lunch, it was the first time they had come together since then. And to be honest, we really are only able to get about four to five that are able to join us. And so we would also ask them every step of the way. And so the memorial had Sybil at the front and then three ladies that are unidentifiable, right? They are women that are imagined. And that is so that they represent the National League of Wives, that all of the women that come together in this movement. Yes, it was started in Coronado. And for sure, everyone agrees. Sybil Stockdale was the leader and the founder. Beyond that, it's really hard to measure out like who else should be on the podium. And that was a really, really hard thing to talk about in our local community. But the reason that this story is important is not because a group of spouses supported their husbands and each other as they got through a terrible situation. It's because they not only did that, but they created a national organization that impacted the international level of discussion about what was happening to the service members. And so because of that, that's why we're putting up a memorial and that is therefore they should be included. So we wanted the other ladies to be representatives of this national movement, which broke a lot of ground. It was joint before joint was cool and required. It was all hands when that really wasn't done. All hands meaning officer and enlisted, right? They did not have any kind of breakout on who would be involved and and what their um, role to play would be based on their service members rank. And it was also multi-ethnic and And if we go back and we look at that time in history and before then, we certainly had a lot of racial segregation in the forces. So they did these things and nobody talks about that. And it was probably some time before we would see South groups, right, starting to take that shape. But I think that they really demonstrated and created a framework by which military family and military spouse organizations would form in the the subsequent years. So we have Sybil at the front. She's life-size, maybe a little larger than life, just a little because that's the way the visual has to happen for the sculptors. And she's on uphill slope. I said, um, I kept imagining them, if you've ever been in D.C., coming up the escalator from the metro out onto the mall. They're arriving, right? And um, if you've ever done that, I think it's, I love CC. It's exhilarating, right? So I imagine them on this upward slope because they had an uphill climb. I was like, this is the Iwo Jima of military spouse memorials, right? If you've ever been to a Marine's house, they have like five of them. And every so this is our military spouse, Iwo Jima. I hope the Marines are okay with that. And so they're on a little bit of an uphill slope. But they also curve around to the back. And at the back, usually you have a a sculpture or a piece of art features an odd number and an arrangement. If you get your flowers, you can look at that. That's how it usually goes. This is what the sculptors taught me. And so we have four. And this is a little problematic because we wanted it to be small enough. So we have this 
podium that is at the back behind the women as they they curve around two on the right hand side of simple one on the left and when you come up to the podium you are now the fifth person in the arrangement and so it is important i think not just to honor these women and their history but to understand that there are others who are stepping into their shoes and who will continue to do so. And whether that's as a military spouse or whether that's as a strong young woman or whether that's somebody that's facing some other uphill battle, then you have a a place to stand with them and feel inspired by them. And we want the podium should be, it's going to be at the height that if you're in a wheelchair, you can come up to it and read it. If you're a little girl or a little boy, you can come up to it and read it. So it's really exciting. So the boy's the front. She's life size, as are the women, the two ladies coming around and the one on the left, and they are meant to represent the national. You know, it sounds amazing. And, and we'll definitely make sure that a picture of the rendering is included in the show notes and the links. You've mentioned a, a couple of different times about Sybil Stockdale, the founder of the League of Wives. What I find interesting and honestly, almost metaphorical, is that many people know Admiral James Stockdale. He's arguably one of the most well-known POWs. He had, literally has a concept of realistic optimism named after him, the Stockdale Paradox. But what is much less well-known is the contributions of his wife and in, in the founder of the League. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about her and how she supported Admiral Stockdale during his captivity. Sure. I think it is crazy. And probably Admiral Stockdale wouldn't be much of a fatalist, right? <laughs> but fate seems to be at work in some ways, right? You have two people that are such a powerful match that end up being incredible sources of inspiration for those in their same circumstance. I think Admiral Stockdale had an incredible impact on the success of all the other POWs that were there, clearly a leader. And how you do that in that dynamic is just amazing. And Sybil also was an incredible leader. And as we discussed a little bit before the show began, it's challenging to talk about what these ladies did because of the greatness and the terrible circumstances of their spouses. And so it's not to take away from how powerful the the husbands were to get through these circumstances or how awful their circumstances were, right? We definitely want to recognize that. But what the ladies did without email, without free long-distance phone calls, how were they able to create this national network is truly amazing too. And Sybil was very much at the front of that effort. As I said, she was very well educated. I think there's something else in that they had already been married for many years at the time of Admiral Stockdale, then Commander Stockdale shootdown. So he was a, a leader, senior officer on the aircraft carrier within the Naval Aviation you know, organization on board. And they were pretty established. And I think it says a lot about their relationship that they had already developed this resilience as a military couple. And she was working at a time where that wasn't really very common. So we can already recognize in her 
probably her own sense of self and identity that I think was very helpful in being able to take charge. And I think another part of this that has only come forward as I've been working on the project is the Navy and Marine Corps, we're always, we're always deploying. Certainly in the last 20, 25 years, Air Force and Army have also been constantly in a state of a deployment cycle. But when we look at the Vietnam era, especially on the early end, the Air Force is incredibly young as a service, right? It had only come to be in the wake of World War II. And so naval aviation had this culture, or the Navy spouses had this culture of that deployment cycle and the value of being networked with each other and getting together and having that community. And I think that this is something that did help Sybil a lot. We know that Louise Mulligan was her friend in Virginia Beach and they had started talking and they were able to break their silence on this. They were told to keep quiet and not discuss the status of their husband. And they agreed that Coronado would go public with the status of their husband. And then the next day, Virginia Beach group of wives went public with the status of their husband. This network that existed between these naval aviation spouses already enabled them to sort of collaborate and make a bigger impact. And that's something that I think was endearing to me about the story. I think if you talk to military spouses, around the country, they can tell you five dear, dear friends that don't live where they live. And Sybil tapped into that network and then was able to move it beyond the people she knew and create that web of other spouses. And she was very determined. I think that she also probably had a similar attitude that Admiral Stockdale did that you mentioned. I think it's also important to recognize if you do read some of the stories, she had her own experience of some mental health crisis over the course of the years, which is completely understandable and does talk about it, which is also kind of landbreaking that she talked about it. I think that we've realized since the League of Wives that we have to talk about these things more about our mental health and mental well being. But I think that Sybil really demonstrates how important it is to have that network to get together and also to have fun. The ladies, when we meet with them, they tell us these great stories about like going out and having some drinks and having some laughs. And we've been on the floor laughing at some of these stories. And that's something that we probably don't think about enough, right? We think about these situations and we like the sculptors, imagine them like on the edge of crisis at all times. But I think when we all get together as families that kind of understand these situations, you know that a really important part of that is having a laugh and being silly. And so I think there's this really powerful demonstration of trying to maintain a healthy balance. She kept teaching. She kept raising her boys. She sent them to family as was the way for some of these families at that time where older boys went off to boarding school, which was what their families always had done. And she kept on doing that. And so I think she maintained a course of normalcy 
Um, and that was really important. And then one other piece I'll add to the story too is she lived in a community that supported her and the other POW wives greatly. And that's another part of the story that we want to tell. Coronado is very idyllic in a lot of ways, but you may not know that when this story started out, there was no bridge that connected Coronado to San Diego. So it was actually kind of a remote location and it wasn't quite as she-she as people might think of it today, but it was a very tight-knit community and they have a strong civilian military community connection. I think that in a lot of ways, that connection and the support that those wives received and Sybil made it possible for them to go beyond their own survival and become this movement and this network that sought the benefit of everyone else. And so having that good, strong community, which the San Diego area is really known for, also was an important factor. And so when we think about that place at the rear of the monument that is open and empty, we also think about that as being that community that offered the support and was part of the effort in making the League of Wives possible. Yeah, I think that's amazing. Um, and it's just fascinating. As I think I'd mentioned before we started, I think myself as a student of history and there's always more history to learn. And I appreciate, obviously, you bringing forward Sybil's story and the story of the League of Wives. If people wanted to find out more, support the project, how can they do that? Thank you, Dwayne. We are at www.leagueofwives.com. And if you go there, you could donate. We have two options. If you go on your phone, it's not as easy to get to the donate by check. So I recommend going on your computer. You can donate by PayPal or you can donate by check. We also are on Facebook, League of Wives. And if you go to Facebook, there's also an option to donate via Facebook. Also on our webpage, there are videos that have been created that tell the story about the League. And I also would say In Love and War was written by Sybil and Admiral Stockdale. Keith Hartage Lee has written the book, The League of Wives, which also tells the story really just about the story of the League. And Keith is amazing. Her mother was bridge partners with one of the League of Wives ladies, Phyllis Galanti. And when Phyllis passed away, her memoirs were found by her children. And Keith is a historian. And so her children said, hey, Keith, you really need to look at this. And she wrote this book. And then Taylor Keeland has recently written a book called Unwavering. And she really reveals how the ladies impacted our attitude about No Man Left Behind that has become part of our national expectation. As you mentioned earlier, the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, right now we have this expectation that no one is left behind. And that really came about from the League of Wives, who eventually evolved into this national league of military families of prisoners and missing in Southeast Asia that really drives that idea of bringing everyone home. And one thing I probably could have mentioned, I think everyone's familiar with the POW MIA flag, the black flag that flies pretty much at every post office and government building throughout the country. The League of Wives created that design and intentionally did not copyright it so that it could be replicated everywhere. And, and so 
we all know about this group, but we don't know who they were. The group, yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's great. We'll make sure that all of the links to those are going to be in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you, Dwayne. And we'll be sure to get you pictures of the sculpture too, so that you can uh, feature that. Absolutely. Once again, we'd like to thank this week's sponsor, PsychArmor. PsychArmor is the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military culture content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners, as well as custom training options for organizations. As I said before the interview, fascinating, enlightening, and encouraging. If you're interested in learning more about the League of Wives, I encourage you to check out the Memorial Project website or the books Christina mentioned, as they'll be linked in the show notes. I'd hope you appreciated this conversation with Christina. If you did, we would appreciate hearing from you. So if you do have some feedback, let us know. Drop a review in your podcast player of choice or send us an email at info at We're always glad to hear from listeners, both feedback on the show and suggestions for future guests. For this week's Psychomer Resource of the Week, I'd like to share the Psychomer course, Networking for Military Spouses. This course will help you define what networking means, demonstrate ways to incorporate social media into your networking task, and list tips for better networking results. You can find a link to the course in our show notes. So thanks again for taking the time to listen to this episode. Make sure to take a look at the show notes, which you can find in the podcast app, as well as on the PsychArmor website at psychArmor.org forward slash podcast. While you're there, you can find hundreds of online training videos delivered by nationally recognized subject matter experts who are all committed to educating the non-military community about military culture. All of these courses are free to individual learners. You wouldn't be listening if you didn't care, and it's that curiosity and passion for supporting service members, veterans, and their families that we want to encourage and increase. Come back each week for another conversation and make sure to engage with PsychArmor on social media to let us know what you thought about the show. I'd like to express special thanks to Operation Encore and Navy Seahawk pilot Jerry Maniscalco for our theme song, Don't Kill the Messenger. This show was produced by Headspace and Timing and all rights to the show remain reserved by PsychArmor. Much appreciation to the team at PsychArmor that makes this show happen. Carol Turner, Vice President of Strategic Communications, who keeps me on track and is an outstanding guest coordinator, and support and transcript by Emma Atherall. Feel free to share the show. In fact, we request that you do, but make sure to let folks know where you heard it. Join us next time for another great episode. And until then, stay aware, get educated, and be well.